Thank you, Danny. Well, uh, you know, this is a big Sunday. It's a Super Bowl Sunday. I know that most of us here probably don't have a lot of contact with those teams unless you grew up in Pennsylvania or somewhere on the East Coast or uh, near Kansas City or you lived there for some time. Can I get an amen? Are there any Eagles fans here this morning? See, we can do this. See, there's at least one, right? KC fans, we'll separate you. Yeah, and nobody, nobody, knew, nobody, nobody knows who's going to win. We're just all hoping for really great commercials. Um, but wherever you are today watching the game, we hope that you're able to do that with family and friends alike. Um, what a beautiful day to do it. So uh, a couple of highlights. Uh, Angela hit on uh, two of them this weekend uh, for our youth that are over in the Yakima area at Camp Gormley. Uh, continue to pray for them as they're probably uh, jumping in vans right now and are going to head back over the pass. And then also for the women's gathering, uh, such, a cool th- such a cool event, or um, I'm so glad that we're able to start those things again because it wasn't very long ago when we weren't able to do them. Last week, we were so excited as a church to host Drew Williams. And for those of you that know, have, some of you have known Drew since he was a little baby here at Cascade Covenant, uh, but he's grown up and uh, doing big things. Uh, Drew lives in a really tiny village named Scammon Bay up in Alaska. Uh, you can only get to it by boat or plane. And they've been there for about 10 years, he and his wife, Holly. And so we proudly support them as a church. And he's able to make it back here about once a year and preach, which he was able to do just last week. And I feel like every time that he does that, every year that he does that, uh, Drew just gets better and better. Amen. And uh, I really look forward to hearing from Drew, seeing Drew. He's a lot of fun but also uh, just to hear the word that the Lord gives to us through him. Next week, we are excited to welcome Anna Carlson from Cascades Camp and Conference Center. And Anna is the registrar down there at camp, and she's going to be sharing about joy and preaching uh, next week. And Anna has a a long history serving in churches, children's pastor, uh, administrative. Really, the reason is because she's married to a pastor, Mark, and he's a very close friend. Actually, both of them are close friends of mine. And... uh, Anna can preach, so we're excited to have her here with us next week. And having all of these extra preachers is kind of a new thing for me, um, but what I've realized is that it frees me up significantly to devote some time and energy to other leadership areas in our church. And the last few years, we've kind of been in survival mode as a church, at least since the pandemic, and just kind of getting through um, all of the turbulence that has been. And we're finally at a place where we're able to go, okay, we, we made it. What's going to happen next? So, man, I, I would really covet your prayers for us as a, as a pastoral staff, as a leadership team, as a body, as we just consider, Lord, uh, where are you leading us next? That's something that's very much on our, our minds as a leadership team and a, at a leadership level. And so uh, I would encourage you to pray for us. Also pray... Um, pray for our tech booth. This morning we had some last-minute uh, folks that called in and they were sick. We we kind of haven't. We've really been we've dodged a bullet uh, over the last few months with with that. But it's highlighted how uh, thin the ranks are. We really really need some new volunteers. So I'm going to lay that out there for you. What that means, uh, we would train you on clicking. Uh, and the worst part of that clicking is keeping track with the words that Danny's singing. But, you know, sometimes he says words from the piano. You think that that's for you, 
no, that's, that's for those of us back there like, oh, we're switching ahead. Uh, but we need people to run our slides on Sunday morning, to run the cameras on Sunday morning, to get trained in the, in the sound board, and we will help you do that. And so um, I just encourage you to consider that. We're going to be wrapping up a series this morning called The Jesus-Shaped Journey, and we began this way back in January, and some of you who are here every week, you're like, really, we're still on The Jesus-Shaped Journey? I can't believe that, but we've had lots of little interruptions, and that's, that's been a good thing, and, and then there are those of you who are like, oh, yeah, I feel like I've been here a lot over the last few weeks, and I don't remember any of this, and that's what makes me depressed as a, as a speaker, right? But my hope is that seeing this... Uh, three, four, five times, helps you remember it. And Lynn Lindbergh reminded me this week, she's a second grade teacher here that attends our church, and uh, she said, and if Lynn said it, this is definitely gospel truth, that it takes 12 times of like encountering something. I don't know, I know Xerox Corporation did this study a long time ago that was like, you have to hear it eight times, which is why people annoyingly say their phone number in commercials like 17 times so that that gets stuck in there. But you need to hear and see and encounter new ideas a lot before they stick. And so um, we're doing this because the concepts, the, the language that I'm using this morning or that we've been using uh, over the last month is something that's going to be a mainstay here at Cascade. So the Jesus-shaped journey and some of the other, the learning circle and some of these other things that we're introducing or have been talking about is part of the best discipleship material ideas, practices that I've encountered as pastor. And I've looked at a lot. I've been doing this for a long time. Uh, I've learned and tried multiple different things with varying degrees of success. And I really, really, really like this particular tool. And that's what it is. It's a tool. Because it helps us to visualize a really nebulous process. And that process is, how do we become more like Jesus, and it invites us to find our spot in God's story. Jesus, one of his most famous sayings is uh, when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I had a theology professor tell me in seminary once that theology is not usually about the big words. It's about the little words. Jesus did not say, I am a way, a truth, and a life. That would change the meaning significantly, wouldn't it? The way, the truth, the life. That is an exclusive statement to say the least, and also very profound. And it occurred to me recently that there was a whole other layer to this that I just didn't even think about. You know, when Jesus speaks of being the way, he literally means the path or the road. That's the word that he uses in the original language. And uh, if you look at a number of English translations, you'll see something that happens very, very, very rarely. And that's whether it's the King James all the way to, you know, the NIV and everything in between. They all translate this the same. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You could say I am the road or I am the path. They say the way. And by that, Jesus very much intended he was the only means of reaching God. Not all paths lead to the Father. Or at least not all paths lead to the same God. 
The book of Acts tells us that the very, very first Christians were known as the way before anyone ever labeled them as Christians. Think about that. Think how significant it was for the early church and for the first Christians that they actually called themselves the way. We've lost sight of that. But what if, what if way also meant the method, follow Jesus, do as he did. In fact, that's exactly what the Apostle John says in 1 John chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. We'll put this up on the screen for you. This is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. St. Paul tells us a similar thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. I always thought, like, who says that, right? Be imitators of me. What kind of, that's, wow, talk about pressure. Follow me as I follow Christ. What exactly does that mean? How do you do that? Well, a little over a year ago, I uh, decided to join a group of other pastors who wanted to learn a spiritual formation curriculum called 3DM, mysteriously. What does that stand for? It stands for three discipleship movements, but it's much cooler if you just say 3DM. So that's what we say, 3DM. And a friend of mine had done this training in the past, like uh, years ago, and he had often told me about it, but I just thought, oh, well, that's really nice for you to do that, and I'm just going to keep doing my own thing. And he said, man, this has been the best, uh, one of the best experiences for my own relationship with God, and also uh, in one-on-one -on -one conversations with other people, you know, how do you actually start to live as a follower of Jesus Christ? And um, as I encountered this a year ago, what caught my attention was that the facilitator told all of us that were in this group, don't do this because you're looking for the next, next best thing, um, because it was a group of pastors and we often do that. What's the next best thing? What's the next book, the next idea, the next conference, the next thing that I can uh, bring into my church and get enthusiasm and spark a revolution, right? Revival, we call those. Uh, he said, don't, don't, don't do it. If, if you're looking for that, don't do that. Do this if you really want to go deeper in Christ. Do this because you want to learn how to hear God's voice more clearly. And do this as a leader because you have to go first. And all of that was music to my ears because I, I, I really, really needed to do something. I needed a, a bit of a spiritual turbocharge, so to speak. And of course, a year ago, it was the end of 2021, I was like many of you, we were crawling out from this crater called the pandemic, and we all kind of were looking around, feeling dazed and confused. And I, I knew that I needed to do something in my own spiritual health and well-being and growth, and joining a group represented a bit of accountability for me. Because the ask was that we show up on Zoom once a week for an hour over the next two years. We could kind of try it out first, but eventually that's what the commitment would be. 
And so I thought, you know, I do need to do that. That's a big ask, but that represents some accountability. I have to show up. Uh, it's great that it's on Zoom because I live at least 1,000 miles from everyone else in my group, and so I can bear all my deepest, darkest secrets and not have to run into them at QFC. Amen? So I signed up, and honestly, my idea of discipleship was that you memorize a bunch of Bible verses. It's kind of like a wanna for adults. Memorize a bunch of Bible verses and then join a group that can shame you into actually living as a Christian, right? And some of you who've had these experiences, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like, oh man, I lost my temper again. You end up confessing all these things. I spread some gossip again, but that person deserved it, right? Oh man, I was filled with jealousy over my neighbor's new car again. I mean, you just kind of keep going through this stuff over and over and over. What is wrong with me? And the issue is that you never get beyond information. It's a lot of information, spiritual information, but it's just information. You never get to go deep enough to address the roots of what's behind all of this gunk in our life. Discipleship, I learned, is more than following Jesus yourself. The goal is helping others learn how to follow Jesus. You do it first. And this applies, by the way, not to just professional Christians like myself. It applies to every single follower of Jesus. This is what we're called to do. Help others learn to follow Christ. Just like St. Paul said, follow me as I follow Jesus. So over the last year, I've learned a lot about myself, a lot about spiritual growth. Some of it's new. Some of it was just a new way of looking at it. And there's really been three or four most helpful tools that anyone can learn that can help anyone to live a Jesus-shaped life. And that phrase right there is something you're going to hear often within the halls of this church is we want to live a Jesus-shaped life. Uh, We just simply mean that's the point, is to follow Jesus, to live like he did. So I'm going to share with you another uh, one, or one of these tools, the one that we've been going over the last few weeks. And we see this pattern in Jesus' own life, both at the beginning of his ministry and also at the end. We see this pattern. And uh, we call this, I call this, the Jesus-shaped journey. It's really a journey of learning how to die to yourself. As Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me, this is kind of the process. So we see the shape of Jesus' journey when we look at Luke chapter 3 and 4, and we'll put a slide up on the screen. See, Phil inspired me two weeks ago. Instead of drawing my, um, you know, I'm, I'm... I decided to just use better images, right? And so this is the Jesus-shaped journey. And uh, originally, I'm also going to use a laser pointer because I don't care if I look like a college professor. You know, we kind of had this. And the first, the first iteration of this, you know, there's plateaus on either side. And, you know, people were like, is that significant for something? Or, or no, it's not. It's just because we're terrible at art, okay? And so this is much more artistic. Look at this. Someone even told me this, like, I feel like you kind of end up higher once you get on this other side. Well, there you go. We end up higher. It's not just, it's not just a hook or a Nike swoosh. It's the Jesus-shaped journey. I digress. <laughs> so when you look at 
Luke chapter 3, verse 21, we see our first kind of landmark. And there's three big landmarks in this tool that we're going to be using. And one of the most helpful things is just as you're sitting there and going, where am I? Which one of these landmarks describes my life at the moment? In Luke chapter 3, verse 21, let me read it for you. Jesus is, receives a call to ministry by his father. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. So this is something that we know as Jesus' call. You can put that back up on the screen for me, Danny. There we go. It happens at his baptism here. That's, that's the, the call of Jesus' father. Uh, this is a place in Scripture that we see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all in one verse. And as followers of Christ, um, this is important for us because Jesus, this, this is about Jesus' identity. Who is Jesus? Who are you? And to whom do you belong? We all belong to our Heavenly Father. And this is such a significant thing for us to like sink our teeth into. And when I was 19, 20 years old, I wish I had a little more clarity on this. That's who I am first. I'm God's son. We're God's beloved children. You know, in first John or in John, the opening chapter of the gospel. Verse 12, yet to all who receive him, he's talking about Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. As followers of Christ, that's what we are first. We all have a heavenly father who claims us, who loves us, who's well pleased with us. And everything that happens to us over the rest of our life is secondary. You know, you become a teacher. Great, that's not your identity. That's something that you do. You become a pastor or a doctor or a tech worker or a programmer, whatever. That's all secondary. You, you, you get married. You're a spouse. Guess what? Secondary. It also means that all those things that people have pinned on you over your whole life that maybe you wish that you were Teflon and that they didn't pin on you, that's not who you are. That's not who you are. You're God's beloved. You're his child, his son, his daughter. That's who we are first. Then in Luke chapter 4, Jesus, after this amazing event, right? He's being baptized. The Spirit is coming upon him. Uh, it says that he's full of the Spirit. Immediately after that, the Spirit leads him into the wilderness. Hmm, thanks, Spirit. Right? We, we always associate these really big moments, uh, mountaintop experiences with God or these realizations that we have or, or times that we surrender and we feel close to Jesus. We're like, oh man, we are just going to live up here forever. Well, in the life of Jesus, that's when the Spirit says, oh, it's time to kind of go out into the wilderness here. So the Spirit leads Jesus out in the wilderness. And there, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where... For 40 days, 
he was tempted by the devil. And so this is kind of the second landmark. And uh, we're just gonna, I, we just call this the challenge, okay? This is where the temptations of Christ happens. It's in Luke chapter 4, 1 through 13. And uh, in these challenges, these temptations that Satan puts out in front of Jesus, they all have to do with challenging his identity as God's son. Well, if you are God's son, he literally says that twice. If you are God's son, then prove it. Turn these stones into bread. Uh, throw yourself from the temple. Let the angels catch you. Uh, you know, if you just bow down to me, Satan says, I'll give you all the stuff that God was going to give you now. And all throughout Christian theology and history and tradition, um, these temptations, I mean, there's so much good stuff written about the temptations of Christ. There's a lot happening in that chapter, significant stuff. Um, For our purposes, it's really helpful to categorize those three temptations, the bread, the throwing from the temple, the uh, kingdoms of the world. And they have to do with appetites, they have to do with our ambitions and our sense of control and being in charge. They have to do with uh, our need for approval, our performance, uh, show everyone, right? Do something spectacular. These three categories um, do much to summarize the temptations and the pressures and the shortcuts that all of us take each day, every week of our life. Sometimes they're little, sometimes they're big. And in the wilderness here, we meet really three characters. And uh, these three characters are trying to thwart our own call, confuse our identity and its completion in Christ. We'll call them adversaries. And uh, you actually might have to jump ahead a couple slides here, Danny, because uh, the next one, I think, doesn't have these on there. But the three adversaries that, we, that we'll run into are not the Holy Spirit. That's going to pop up next. But there's the devil. There's the world. And there's our flesh. Thomas Aquinas, Phil uh, let us know, 500 years ago coined the phrase, you know, the world, the flesh, and the devil. These are the things that are constantly trying to thwart our faith and um, just our trust in God. The devil, that's an, that's an easy one. You know, what's that? The world has to do with all that stuff out there that we encounter each and every day. We live uh, in a fallen world among people who are just like us, who are fallen too. And then there's our own flesh that we're working out, our own ego and pride and all the ways that we seem to short circuit ourselves and turn our back on God. Those are working on, those are voices that distract us, forces that drown out the Spirit's own voice in our life. And so you'll notice that in this challenging time, how does Jesus respond? He basically quotes, well, he quotes Scripture every time. He's saying, hey, I'm going to listen to my Father's voice and not yours. I wish I could do that better, right? That's how we respond. But in this valley of challenge, that's where we get stuck, right here. We get stuck in the bottom of, bottom of the pit. And uh, it's really difficult to figure out how to climb out the other side. In fact, that's the question 
for those of you who identify with being in this spot. And often those challenges, it's, they're not just one-off. There are seasons of our life where we feel stuck in the pit. It's very normal. I mean, you just look at the story of Israel. They spent 40 years wandering the wilderness. So pray it doesn't last that long, amen? These are seasons, normal. The sad reality is that when we're stuck down here, we start to listen to the voices of the world, our flesh, and the devil. They get louder and louder and louder. We kind of get stuck on that tricycle of our ambitions and our need for approval and our um, appetites that kind of drowned out the voice of God in our life. And that's really where I was a year ago, end of 2021. And what clicked over this last year was that my need for approval um, had grown. It wasn't just a little weed anymore. It was a gigantic, unwanted tree (laughs) that was uh, growing in my life. And uh, I mentioned that I was trying to climb out of the pit after the pandemic, like many of you. And it was made worse because of my own decision uh, not to listen to the spirit, but to listen to the world, the flesh, and the devil. I affectionately call those, instead of WMD, which is weapons of mass destruction, I just call them WFD because they're also hugely destructive. And so those were drowning out the voice, God's voice in my own life. And... um, when, when the pandemic started, I mean, none of us had control over uh, that. But we all could decide how we were going to react. And I know that some of you are like, geez, Dan, you're still talking about the pandemic. Yes, because it was that terrible for me. And as much as I want to just close the door and forget all that stuff happened, uh, I'm not going to do that. Because that's a recipe for having all of that stuff get regurgitated and ooze out of me the next season that I find myself stuck in the pit. And so, uh, you know, sometimes it's helpful to wall that off right away and say, that's just too raw, I can't go there. But eventually you have to deal with it. And you have to invite God into that space. You know, last week uh, when Drew was here, one of the things that I, I really, really, really appreciated about Uh, him was when he said, you know, he he was talking about the difficulty of loss and of painful seasons in our life. And he talked about the power of lament, of sitting with others and inviting God into those raw hurt spaces and how that's really the first step in any of our healing process. And so my need for approval, I discovered this last year, had grown into this gigantic weed tree And that's because when people started leaving our church, uh, I really took that to heart. There was a lot of stuff that was just out of my control. But as hard as I worked, as many hours as I worked, uh, you know, as, as many sermons that I videotaped, it just never could be enough. And I took that, I took that to heart. A lot of the decisions that, you know, we made as a leadership team and as a pastor, you know, people would leave. Some of them left loudly, and it was, you know, it was pretty much all my fault. At least that's what I heard. And so suddenly I was in this place where uh, I wasn't getting the dopamine hit from people liking what I did. 
In fact, it was just the opposite. And all that does is serve to fuel all of your other anxieties, all your other appetites. I mean, this is how you get stuck. All of those things are connected. So, it was a difficult season at work for me. What is it for you? How do you name the season if you're in this season right now? Or maybe it's in the rearview mirror. How would you name it? You know, is it just a tough stretch in your marriage? Is it a reorg at work? Uh, maybe it's a struggle with addiction or chronic anxiety and stress. What is it? How do you name the challenges that are in your life right now? And when you're in this valley, you have to face your demons. Because if you leave these unchecked, they're just going to drown out God's voice. They're going to distract you over and over and over and over again. So where's God in all this? He's right there with us. God doesn't create these problems. He doesn't make bad things happen in our life. But when they happen, he comes right alongside of us. He's there. And the powerful thing about God is that he can utilize these things in our life. He can transcend them in such a way that he can bring good about because of them. It's not good that they happened. It's not good, you know, God's causing pain. It's not God's causing pain in your life. No, we live in this broken, fallen world. Jesus came back to redeem us, to heal us, to fix what's broken again. Part of that is that's part of the beauty that God can create out of brokenness, out of loss, and out of pain. That's one reason, just one reason why we need the Lord in our life. And so, you know, Drew here was preaching last week, and he made this comment. He said, our mountaintop experiences don't last very long. I mean, mountaintops are great, but they aren't where life is lived. Life is lived in the valley. And then he said, that's where the fruit grows. And I, I was sitting in the back there when he said that, probably staring at my shoes, and I, I perked up at that moment. That's one of the, I mean, I'll just say it, one of the most profound things I've heard in a long time. Life has lived in the valley. That's where the fruit grows. God didn't design the world to work like it's working out here. Now, this is all a result of our sin and our lostness. But God has provided us a way, a way forward, a way through it, a way out of the pit. And some of the, uh, the Holy Spirit is just one means of getting out of the pit. Have you ever considered what completion through this valley might look like for you? What's the goal? Jesus, Scripture says in Luke 4, came out of the wilderness. He faced all of these adversaries, these temptations. He returns to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, it says. And this is the third landmark, completion. That just simply means it's like, hey, the, this season, this journey has been completed. And uh, it's not all over. The devil says that, uh, Scripture says that when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. 
But this wilderness experience had a profound effect on Jesus. Um, he didn't do any miracles before this. If you look in Luke, all of the miracles happen later, next. Uh, the other thing that happens repeatedly is that Jesus will speak in front of crowds and people will say, oh, he says that with such authority. There's something that happened in the wilderness, in that experience. There was some kind of fruit that God developed out of that, that Christ had as a result of going through that terrible, terrible time. In Luke 4, 18, he, he stands up in the synagogue in, in Nazareth and he quotes, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And as Jesus completes this journey, we notice from beginning to end, we see the Holy Spirit leading him, filling him, guiding him, empowering him. The Holy Spirit is known as, as the advocate. We also see that God the Father is empowering his life and his mission. He's like, it's not just his identity, it's, it like becomes his purpose. And finally, we know that Jesus, after this time, he calls his disciples, which is like a, like a new family. People who become his closest associates. People that Jesus gives access to his own life. Really, really, really important. Jesus wasn't just a teacher who walked around and didn't have any friends. No, he lived in the presence of others that were on this journey with him. So our takeaways, our takeaways from this process is where am I? Maybe I'm at the start or maybe I'm at the start again, hearing the sweet sound of God's voice speak into me like, you are my beloved child. You are made in my image. You are precious to me. I love you. And with you, I am well pleased. We all need to hear that. Maybe you're in the pit, you're in the challenges right now, and you're the revolving door of your appetites and your need for approval and your ambition and loss of control and all that stuff is just going around and around and around and around, and you need a way out. The way out is through the Holy Spirit. The way out is starting to learn the way of Jesus. The out has to do with people that God brings into our lives. Call them mentors, call them guides. Man, there are, if I look back on my li life and the seasons of the pit that I've been in, I can name specifically people who helped me through those seasons. God led those people into my life. And they're probably there for you too. They are there for you too. You just need to start paying attention. And the last thing is, families are important as non-functional and dysfunctional as they may be sometimes. Not just our immediate families. God's family. Each other. God gives us one another. We have to allow access to some of us, to others in our life. 
But God wants to use us, the church, the family, the body of Christ, in one another's lives. And that is such a challenge for us in the 21st century because we're all busy. And we all have stuff going on on the weekends. I, I'm telling you, this is my life, right? Where, where, could, where could we possibly fit one more thing in? It's not fitting one more thing in. It's kind of opening up, allowing others into your life in significant ways. The church, other followers of Jesus who are going through this stuff too. It's not just follow me as I follow Christ, not just one apostle that we're following, or Jesus, it's one another. And so my prayer for Cascade over this next year um, is that we would continue to grow, not just in our relationship with God, but also in our relationships with one another. That we would hurt and celebrate and be with one another, that we would pray for each other. One of the reasons I want, I'm excited to do this series over Lent that's called Jesus Praise is not to make us feel guilty in how little we might pray. It's not about quantity. It's definitely about the quality of our prayers. And when we begin to notice the Holy Spirit moving in and amongst us, when we get to see how God is breaking in all around us every single day, it points us towards him. It points us towards prayer. And so as a, as, as a church body, man, we just need to do it more and more and more and more to become a house of prayer, a people of prayer as we follow our Lord. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we're all on a journey. We get to choose whether or not we want to take it with you. So I pray that we would, that you would help us want to do that. Lord, uh, for those of us who are, are hearing your voice in a loud, distinct way, maybe for the first time or maybe for uh, the first time in a long time, help us to hear and believe that you love us you're pleased with us, you want us, that we're your beloved children. Lord, for those of us who are stuck right now, are facing some challenges, we pray that that season wouldn't last long. We pray that you would help us to hear your voice clearly, loudly, that you would surround us, Lord, with people, mentors, or people who can help guide us through this season we pray that you would surround us with your family. Lord, instead of your voice being drowned out, we pray that you would drown out the voices of the world, our own flesh, the devil, Lord, that might be distracting us. Help us out of this pit. And Lord, for those of us who are up on the other side and are sensing your power and your presence just... Um, being released into our life. We're so grateful for that. Help us to remember that it's for others. It's not just for us. Help us to get on mission, whatever that is in our life, the kingdom way that you want to lead us. Help us to surrender that. And this we pray 
In your precious name, amen.